0: A new breed of robot is coming to the warehouse, and it could help to change our perception of this cutting edge technology. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Automation has been an important part of logistics and operations for a long time. Robots, maybe less so. They're an important part of manufacturing, to be sure, but they're not exactly taking warehouses and distribution centers by storm. Well, that might be starting to change, though. Today, I'm speaking with Melanie Wise, CEO of Fetch Robotics, a new company specializing in the development of robots for the warehouse. Currently, it's testing two units, called Fetch and Freight, which can work together to pick and move orders to the shipping dock. They represent a new wave of technology that could transform the role of robots in handling repetitive tasks and provide a solution to the labor shortage that so many distribution operations are experiencing today. We also talk about how the very idea of a robot is changing from a threatening, if not evil, entity to an essential part of modern-day commerce working right alongside human beings. And we find out whether robots can or should think for themselves. So here's my conversation with Melanie Wise. Melanie Wise, welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Bob. Thanks for the invite.
0: Fetch Robotics, the very name of it suggests obedience. Uh, so I guess in this case, these are robots that do our bidding. But I'm wondering just, uh, I want to start with some general questions about your conception and your, and, and your ideas of how robotics and, the, and robots have changed, or how, more accurately, how our conception of robots have changed over the years. What kind of transformation have you seen in that way?
1: Oh, man, that's a question fraught with history. For the general public, that's that's been an interesting path. If you look at the history of robotics, the word came about far before we even had physical robots. The first movie was made about robots taking jobs and uh, destroying the world at least 40 years before we had what people might consider modern age of robots or uh, kind of autonomous robots. Before that, we had robots that you would see at uh, large conferences and things like that. So one of the first robots that people look back at now and in the generation before mine, if you'd asked people you know, in the 1950s what they thought the first robot was, they would have said that it was uh, a robot that was at the World's Fair that was sponsored by Westinghouse it was just an automaton it uh it could just do very simple pre canned things and it was it was actually a very interesting system because the guy kind of spoke in morse code into a, a microphone and the robot then executed commands based on that if you look at how people have perceived robots for the last 80 years or so we've really just seen a lot of negative 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 movies about jobs about killing people about taking the world destroying it and it hasn't been until the last 10 years that we've really seen a, a transition into, oh, robots are friendly, they, they're people too, you know, Chappie and uh, Wally are great examples of that. In the robotics community, I think that people are starting to see the, the capability of bringing robots beyond traditional manufacturing settings into service or collaborative settings. We've been very focused as a community for a very long time on industrial settings. You know, the first robot that entered industrial settings was the Unimate Arm, a a GM plant, in the early 60s. And even that robot really was more of an automaton at that point because it was controlled using magnetic tape and it did a very, very specific pre-programmed task. Uh, it wasn't until the 1970s that we saw the transition of robotic technology onto modern computing technology. And for a long time, robots have been pretty beholden to the rate at which computer technology developed. And so now we're starting to see that there's enough computing technology to start doing interesting things with robots. And that that's really happened in the last 10 years or so.
0: Yeah, you know, it seems like there's always been a disconnect between the public perception of what is a robot and the actual engineer's perception of what is a robot. The public always seems to think of robots in some humanoid form. But the robots that we have seen in practice in factories and warehouses and the likes may or may not look anything like humans. They perform discrete tasks that certainly don't necessarily even replace something that a human was doing, and they certainly don't look like humans either, right?
1: I think that that's... That anthropomorphism or anthropomorphication of things is just uh, something that people do. I don't think it's specific to to robots. I mean, people feel that way about their pets, about all sorts of other inanimate objects. Um, I think it's just that as if it's your profession, you have a much more um, a larger barrier to your your need to anthropomorphize it because you have to work with it every day. I think that you'll find that roboticists are just as fragmented about what they perceive as a robot. Some roboticists will go as far as saying that your microwave and your dishwasher are robots, whereas some roboticists will say that it's not a robot unless it's doing um, multiple discrete tasks or it's actually exhibiting true autonomous behavior instead of kind of random autonomous behavior. Roomba is a great example of that kind of bifurcation of kind of thought. Because the Roomba actually has limited autonomous behaviors. It actually is just doing a random walk, which many people might consider it's just an autonomous instead of a thinking autonomous robot.
0: Tell me about the genesis of Fetch Robotics. So
1: Fetch Robotics, kind of its evolution started back as far as maybe even a little garage. Willow Garage was a large robotics incubator that in a very short time became one of the foremost institutions in robotics. It started in 2007. Uh, I was the second employee there. And over the course of my my time at Willow Garage, um, and I was there almost for the entire length of the company, I eventually became the head of robot development at Willow Garage. And during that time, I assembled a team of people to work on uh, kind of the next generation hardware that Willow Garage was working on developing. But as as all things go, you know, things come to an end and Willow Garage was starting to come to an end. And since Willow Garage wasn't just a, a research institution, it was also somewhat of an incubator, there was an opportunity for my team and I to spin out into a company. And we did that. And at the time that company we spun out was uh, Unbounded Robotics. Unfortunately... The company was around for about 18 months, and it was really stymied by its spinoff agreement from Willow Garage. And so because of that, we actually had to shut down that company, and we had the opportunity to move to Fetch. And when Fetch first started, it was called FYS. It started almost exactly one year ago, and um, myself and the three other founders of Unbounded Robotics uh, were hired into FYS to make it go. FYI stood for Fetcher Stuff. I'm not sure if I said that already. And so uh, about 10 days after the company was created, we were hired and we started focusing on the logistics industry. And, and this this uh, this focus of the logistics industry came out of an evolution of some of the work that we we had done at, at Willow, this idea. Um, and, and you'll see this from a lot of the other Willow Garage spin or people who had worked at Willow Garage there was a about a two-year period at Willow Garage where we did a lot of need finding in different areas, including supermarkets, uh, logistics, manufacturing, hospitality, elder care, all these areas. And Savioque, which is not technically a spin-out of Willow Garage, but Steve Cousins, the CEO of Willow Garage, is, is running that company. The former CEO of Willow Garage is running that company. And they're focused on hospitality, and I think that was greatly influenced by the things that we learned while we were at little garage and so there's there's a lot of companies that came out of little garage that took a lot of the learning that they had and they and they or individuals, even like myself, that came out of little garage and took the learning that we had gained from little garage to turn that into companies and so when you look at the logistics space, there's a very large opportunity for robots to have new impact. The work is repetitive, which is always very helpful with robots. There's a large uh, employment gap or job gap. There's about 600,000 jobs today that are going unfilled in manufacturing and logistics. And the the industry has very thin margins. They're constantly being pushed to increase their throughput. Uh, and this is for a couple of reasons. One, thin margins, but two, we're moving to this really on-demand economy where, you know, everyone wants what they want and they want it an hour from now, maybe yesterday. Uh, And because of that, you're seeing this need to constantly take items from shelves and get them into people's hands in shorter and shorter amounts of time. And so you're seeing um, that there's just not enough labor to provide this. And because it has to be done so quickly, there's there's basically a physical limit to what people are capable of. And so we looked at, at robotics as an opportunity to flexibly automate existing warehouses to provide a boost in throughput, to increase the insight that managers have into warehouses. If you... If you look at the studies that have been done asking warehouse managers and distribution center managers like what it is that they see as the, the top three challenges, they'll say visibility into the warehouse, aging infrastructure, the inability to bring new technology in, and dealing with a fixed warehouse. It's very hard to change and modify the warehouse once it's built.
0: So you focus specifically on the picking aspect of it, right? That's what it looks yeah. like your particular product is aiming at.
1: Yeah, right now we're, we've, we've built the f- platform and we're very focused on the picking aspect. So uh, specifically piece picking and 50% of the piece picking activity is transport. So if you look at the kind of the solutions we've provided, we've provided everything from a collaborative solution where a robot follows a person and does the transport task autonomously to a fully automated solution where two robots work together to do the picking task. That is not the the end goal of Fetch Robotics. Fetch Robotics is a, a solution provider for the logistics industry. So we provide robotic solutions and software solutions on our platforms. So we hope to extend the capabilities of the robots long term to do things beyond the picking task in the logistics and manufacturing market.
0: Right now, though, like the video on your site shows one of your units, a cute little R2-D2 sort of thing with a bin on top of it following a human, and the yeah. human is picking and putting stuff into into the robot's uh, bin. Yeah. Um, you're saying that you also have uh, systems, though, in which the robots actually do the picking as well?
1: Yeah, so there's a second video on the site in which we have a robot called Fetch, and we have a, the smaller R2-D2 robot that you're referring to we call Freight. And they work together to pick items off the shelves. So uh, a fetch robot will go to a shelf and grab the object and then put it into a freight robot. And the freight robot will do the transport. Because the the fetch robot is, is just like a person. It's more expensive. And so we want to keep that robot doing the harder task, and we want to separate the transportation into a less expensive robot.
0: Who is buying these systems? Who's most interested in, in terms of industries? So right now we are doing three
1: private pilots with customers. Um, those pilots are, you know, we're not really talking about who they are, but the the main people behind these pilots are um, either manufacturers, people making and producing goods. Or third-party logistics companies, companies running other people's warehouses.
0: But in terms of the types of goods they're being picked, um, there's no specific. Uh, thing yeah, there. I don't. I mean, not like it.
1: if I if I said that, it would make it very obvious who the customers were. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So this so is still very much in the early early stages, then, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The company's yeah. only a year old.
0: What kind of a rollout do you think? Well, what's your timetable for for getting this on the market? getting past the initial beta stages and and having it fully available to the marketplace?
1: So right now, I would guess it's about six months out for really saying, like, hey, here's a fully deployed system with use case statistics and things like that. We are deploying the robots. They're at a point where we can do that. We're also selling the robots into research. That's largely so that we can hire because... Uh, it's very beneficial to have students learning on our platforms before they come get jobs with us. So that's a big opportunity for us as a as a company. But uh, predominantly, we're doing private pilots where we bring robots to people's uh, sites and then leave them there or take them back when when we're done.
0: You know, you are playing in an industry where there is already, as I'm sure you know, a heavy, heavy degree of automation in some sectors. Specifically, uh, I've seen in Europe, uh, it's more popular than it is in the United States, but the idea of the so-called lights-out warehouse that is entirely automated. They don't even have lights on because they don't need them because there's no people around. Now, what you're, you seem to be aiming at is some very discrete applications of robotics as opposed to automating an entire facility. Are you going in that direction or is that not feasible as you see it in the United States?
1: I don't think that this need is specific to the United States. I think that logistics is a is a special industry that has been for a long time done with very cheap human labor. Um, the problem is that the cost of labor is going up, and that people don't want to do these jobs anymore. And so, really, you're forced into automation. The problem is is that there's millions upon millions upon millions of square feet in around the world of warehouses that have been built, and they can't just be uh, shuttered and build new fully automated warehouses. Most businesses don't have the the capital required to do this. And so you need to be able to bring in flexible automation to enable this transition to automated uh, facilities. Uh, it, it's also a problem that, if specifically if you look at the United States as a cross-section, 60% of the warehouses that are operational today are using some form of paper-based picking. That means that someone goes and gets a piece of paper and wanders around the warehouse to do the picking, which doesn't lend itself very well to full automation. Um, also, the, the industry is dealing with a lot of legacy. You know, the this kind of warehouse management automation systems, have been coming online for a very long amount of time and there's a lot of legacy and people are using a lot of hodgepodge systems and bringing them all together and and helping a company transition is is a a challenge in itself. That being said, a lot of people look at Amazon as the best in class. Amazon only really represents about 1% of the logistics distribution center providers in the United States and the world. So, I think that yes, long term, it would be great to, to move towards a light out, lights out operation. And that's definitely something that we see on our roadmap. But I think that the, the path to getting there is, is much more difficult than, than many people think, um, because of the, the challenges with legacy and, and the cost of rebuilding warehouses and things like that.
0: But it's a response to labor shortages in many cases, I understand it. I mean, it's not like they're proactively going out to replace human beings who are already there. A lot of these operations say, as you point out, they can't get the people. And so this is a necessity. Um, I'm thinking specifically of uh, what's going on in China right now in Guangdong province, specifically in Dongguan City, where there are plans to automate 80 percent of their manufacturing production by 2020, because despite the fact that China is the most populous nation in the world, they're actually talking about labor shortages there. So I guess that is the trend all around, right? Yeah,
1: yeah it is. It is the trend. It's whether the the business has the capability to afford that automation technology. I mean, that's that's a big transition for most companies, but of the problem is, is that people need flexible automation over fixed automation, and when you look at the way people, when they say they're looking to automate um, by 2020, it most likely means that they're looking to do it with fixed automation. Uh, that means conveyor systems, sorters, things like that, and that, I think that is, is something that is an opportunistic now, but I think long-term may be a, a downfall because it's because it's inflexible and because the market is so rapidly changing that the, that warehouse may need to increase its throughput by 30% in the next three years and the automation technology they choose may not have that capability. And so those are, those are gotchas on the other end of that. And that's where robots are more advantageous because they are flexible. During peak season, say Christmas, you can add robots to the warehouse. You can add robots to the system where Adding more conveyor line or something like that, you know, may not help the system. And so we'll see how that plays out. But I think that there's a large mar- market opportunity for many, many robotics companies to become involved in, in this market. It's a very large market.
0: You know, most robots today, it seems to me, are stupid. And by that I mean that they are designed to perform a particular task and they do it well and they do it over and over again, but they're not, there's, that's about it. I'm just wondering to what degree do you see the merging of robotics with artificial intelligence to create much more so called intelligence systems as opposed to what we've seen up to this point?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think the challenge with intelligence is intelligence isn't always safe. Uh, one of the people that we we're talking about a couple days, you're we talking to a couple of days ago, one of a uh, potential customer possibly down the road, asked us if we would allow the robot to update its map by itself and we told them no because it's not safe. And so most likely you will have intelligent systems that go through a step of human verification. Robots thinking by themselves is, is a challenging thing because I think as, as intelligence evolves, evolves, or AI, I, I hate using that word, artificial intelligence, because it, it it's a marketing problem. It's not really, uh, something that, that people really understand well, because, I mean, 20 years ago, if you'd asked someone what AI was, they'd say recognizing handwriting, but we do that today and no one calls it AI. They call it handwriting recognition. I think that for a very long time people will be using discrete state machines that compile an assortment of tasks in different orders and in different semantic ways. But I don't think that will be what people might consider true AI learning and thinking on the fly.
0: Mm. It's
1: just not uh, deterministic. You want deterministic situations when you're working and operating heavy machinery around people. Uh, There's a whole world of safety that you have to be thinking about. And you don't want a robot that weighs 200 pounds with the intelligence of a toddler making decisions where safety is important.
0: You know, Melanie, we're almost out of time, but I have to ask you on a more personal note, just what is your own background that got you interested in this whole uh, area of robotics in the first place?
1: Everyone asks me that, and I really have a terrible answer. Uh, I always had an interest in building things. My dad uh when i was a kid bought me a couple like line falling robots from the admin scientific catalog you remember when you know you had to buy things from catalogs because there was no internet when i was about five uh, or there was but it wasn't available to most people and i went to college i did engineering and uh although i went to the university of illinois it's not a big robotics school and i just uh Started building robots in my free time with a friend, and eventually ended up working on an autonomous car project through the university. And that's how I ended up out in California working on robots. Uh, I came out to California to work on that project, and I met the person founding Willow Garage, and he offered me a job.
0: But it was sort of in your in your blood from a very early age, though, in terms of what you, what you found interesting. <laughs> Because, you know, I'm I'm thinking that, you know, there's so much of of the engineering field has been male-dominated for so many years, and yet it seems to me when I look at some of, like, the robotics competitions at the high school levels and even below that, it seems to me that this is an excellent path for girls and young women to explore, and that quite a few of them are entering this field. Is that your impression, and are you encouraging that?
1: Well, I encourage everyone to get into math and science and engineering. I I don't think it's a specific gender issue or... a or race issue or any of those things. I think the the challenge is that there is a large lack of engineers in the United States and and trying to make a a distinguishment between girls and boys and things like that is, is silly when we just don't have enough engineers. But I think I think it's good. I wish that there were more competitions that were more programming focused because that's the key to robotics. Far less so uh, mechanical engineering. I mean, I am a mechanical engineer, but the, I spent five years at Will Garage being a programmer. The real uh, path in, in robotics is programming. So all the, the young people out there are learning how to become mechanical engineers. Unfortunately, there's not that many jobs for mechanical engineers in robotics from my perspective. I encourage everyone to get involved in it. I mean my path to to all of that was kind of a, a strange path. When I was a kid, I had really, well, I still have very severe dyslexia and I I took a very long time to learn how to read, but I was very good at math and so I kind of dove into that to avoid the fact that I sucked at reading. So that was kind of a weird path for for really embracing math and science. But I I think that the the new kind of thing that uh, large engineering organizations are trying to push and, and convey to young people today is that engineering is not specifically about math and science. It's about creativity. It's about how do we solve very, very hard problems through, through creative processes. Because for a very long time, there was a lot of focus on, are you good enough? Are you smart enough? And, and really, yes, it takes a certain level of intelligence to to do you know, engineering. Of course, I'm not going to deny that. But at the same time, some of the best engineers are the most creative. That you don't specifically have to be a genius to to be a good engineer. And so, I think that that's one of the bigger things that I would be interested in conveying to young people and, and being uh, motivated to get them excited about and and get people into robotics or engineering because, you know, as As someone who's hiring people right now, there's a real talent shortage um, for very qualified, uh, articulate engineers.
0: Well, listen, we are out of time, unfortunately. I wish we could talk more. But Melanie Wise of Fetch Robotics, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about what's going on in the world of robotics and at Fetch specifically and maybe the future of the technology as well. Thank you very much for being with us.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Bob, for inviting
0: me. I appreciate it. That was my conversation with Melanie Wise of Fetch Robotics, talking about the evolution of robots in the warehouse. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast. for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain,